This is Inside Inkeeping, a podcast from InPartners on the ins and outs of the inkeeping industry. Here's your host, Megan Smith. In today's podcast, we are going to explore inkeeping for the long term, inkeeping as your career. The lore is that it's about a seven-year average that people stay with an inn once they buy it. But today's guests, Bev Davis and Rick Littlefield from the beautiful Captain Lord Mansion Inn in Kennebunkport, Maine, are going to talk to us about what they've learned over the last 40 years and how they've kept it fresh and how they stay inspired. So I think you're going to all enjoy the conversation. A little bit about them and the Captain Lord Mansion Inn is that in 2012, the inn celebrated its 200th anniversary. And also in that same year, Rick and Bev were awarded the Stafford Smith Award from Select Registry. In 2014, Rick and Bev were awarded the Masters of New England Innkeeping by New England Inns and Resorts Association. This award is given by their peers to people who have made a lasting contribution and left an indelible mark on the culture of New England hospitality. So I'm very happy to have Rick and Bev with me today, and thank you for listening. Before we hear from Rick and Bev, we have a message from an industry partner, Whitestone Marketing. The team at Whitestone Marketing would like to congratulate Rick Litchfield and Beverly Davis of Captain Lord Mansion on 40 years of exceptional hospitality by showing guests a wonderful experience and providing endless leadership to their peers in this industry. Whitestone Marketing has worked for almost a decade with Rick and Bev promoting their Forbes-listed Four Diamond property and have achieved phenomenal results along the way by partnering with two of the most creative, inspiring innkeepers we have ever had the privilege of working with. As such, it is with great pleasure to sponsor this segment for Rick and Bev as they share their experiences with you. Whitestone Marketing is passionate about helping clients realize success year after year by offering unparalleled design, powerhouse marketing, and superior branding services. Visit whitestonemarketing.com to learn more and set up a consultation. So Rick and Bev, I just want to thank you so much for sitting down with me today. I had the fortune to meet Rick and Bev recently at a conference in LA where they took me under their wing and we had a wonderful exchange at several events. So I feel really fortunate to be here in their beautiful inn today. We are on property here today, so we are not in the studio, so the sound quality may be a little different than in previous podcasts, but I assure you the content will be as good, if not better, than any we've done yet. So thank you so much for joining me today and taking the time out of your busy day. Bev has her painting clothes on, and she's getting ready to paint the ceiling in her kitchen. And Rick was hard at work behind the front desk when I came down for my wonderful breakfast this morning. So thank you for taking the time with me. It's really great to be here with you today. So I think for people that don't have the opportunity to know you, and while we're speaking, if you are at your computer, you might want to pull up their beautiful website for the Captain Lord Mansion. It is beautiful. The photography is very authentic. It, the photography represents what the inn looks like, and you can get a real piece of the history and an understanding of the 
work that has gone into making this building what it is today. So I'm going to start the conversation by saying that when Rick and Bev bought this inn, it was a boarding house and also had some transients, but mostly was five women lived here. Is that correct? Yes, we had five ladies between the ages of 80 and 97. They each had their own private room, but it was required that we provide three meals a day, laundry service once a week, and cleaning their room once a week. So it was um, a full-time job just taking care of them. But they were known as cash flow, and our intent was to be a full-time bed and breakfast, but uh, we weren't too sure what that meant either. So uh, it was a, a quid pro quo. It was a good arrangement. And so how did it evolve from there? Well, it was like the Ten Little Indians. One by one, the ladies uh, fortunately did not pass on, but uh, circumstances went to nursing homes or their families moved and they went with them. So at the end of about two years, we were, uh, the last lady had left us. Uh, that had always been one of my concerns as I was serving them breakfast in the morning in their room that, oh, gee, Laura, you checked out last night. But thankfully, that never happened. As each one of the ladies would leave us, of course, that left us with an empty room. And we would immediately go in. And, and Bev said that they had private rooms, but they none of them had private baths. So that was the very first thing we had were faced with was putting in private bathrooms. And I'll never forget, it was uh, the end of the first summer, which we bought in 1978. And uh, we went in that fall, and we I think we did three bathrooms because uh, there was a uh, what was called the trunk room on the third floor. Literally, was this was an estate that they traveled in summers only, and that's where they stored their trunks. We divided that in two and made two bathrooms. And across the hall, that had been a, a, a hall bath, and that made a private bath there. And we had also down in Hesper, we were able to, there was a closet in that room, and we were able to sneak a shower in there. So that gave us, uh, I don't know, you know, four or five private baths, and that was, that was fun. So at the end of the two years, the ladies had left us, and we were able to... Uh, rent the rooms. And we started out with, I think, eight guest rooms. And then a couple ladies would leave. And then we had 10 guest rooms. And then we had 12. And ultimately, we ended up with 16 guest rooms in the uh, Captain Lord building. And there were two rooms on the first floor, one of which we lived in for the first two years. And across the hall was uh, what was called the wedding, wake, and baptism room. It had the original wallpaper from 1812, 1814. And we felt that was sacrosanct. You can't go in and make, you know, but, you know, we were in business. So we made that turned into a guest room. Today, that's our master suite, the merchant suite. I think one of the things is that we've always been willing to take a look at change. That one of the secrets of how we've been able to exist as long as we have is we've never been satisfied with the status quo. Well, uh, in relationship to that, our first bathrooms were fiberglass showers, uh, formica sinks, linoleum on the floor, 
And everybody was really happy just to have a private bath at a bed and breakfast. Well, can I interject there that this morning I did my yoga on the floor of my heated bathroom floor <laughs> just to show where change really has, uh, has occurred here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And actually, some of those changes came about by visiting another inn, and they had heated bathroom floors. And Rick and I looked at each other as we were driving home and said, if they have it, we absolutely should do it. And we investigated how to do it, uh, what the cost would be, and then we decided we weren't going to go the tile. We were going to go with marble or granite on the bathroom floors. So that was sort of a, a second wave of renovations for us. The fiberglass and the formica worked really well, but it was now time to make changes. That was acceptable at that time, but starting to be unacceptable. And so you don't do it overnight because it's very expensive. So you start with your very best room, the one that has the highest occupancy, and you do that one over. And you do it as best as you can possibly do it. And how do you go about scheduling that work? Well, you look at a time frame. How long does it take? How long does it take to rip it out? Then how long does it take to put it back together? How long does the tiling take? How does, long does the painting take? How long does it take the plumber to get in there? And you get a time frame of, in actuality, if someone is working and in and in, they can't come in at 8 o'clock because you have guests taking baths, guests having breakfast, and you can't have hammering. So you have to have your workmen know that they got to start at 10 and they have to be done at 3. And that's where a good relationship with your plumbers and your craftsmen is really critical. And so you, you back it out then. If it's going to take two and a half weeks or three weeks, you just have to shut that room down. But your increased revenue with the renovation will definitely make up for that three weeks of loss. And you do it during your slow season, January. In New England, it's January, February, and March. And uh, So do you have a formula that... I know you're the accountant by trade, Rick. Do you have a formula for raising a rate after you find the price of a renovation, or is it not that cut and dry? I would say no, it's not that cut and dry. Um, for example, if you have been, you know, way back when, if the room was $149 a night, and it had the fiberglass and uh, showers and didn't have the heated floor, and then you went in, and many of the rooms we were able to do, like in the room you had, with the tub and a shower combination, the heated floor, it has the hydro-massaged body jets on the wall. So you might say, okay, well, what is the value of that room today? And you might go to $175 a night on that particular room. So the other thing to do is to look at what is the payback period. I like a rule of thumb is that if you're running 50% or 55% occupancy and the room was renting at $149, that tells you how much revenue you got during that time period. If you spent $6,000 to renovate that room, how long is it going to take you at the 55 or, or you may, that occupancy may increase because it's a more popular room. Mm -hmm. So let's say you say, okay, well, that room will now rent at 60% occupancy. I'm going to have a $25 a night increase. So maybe the payback on that should be nine months or a year. I mean, you can, the mathematical yeah. formula you can work out. So that's pretty much 
how I did that. In, yeah, I uh, remember thinking. we did the gas fireplaces, and I remember, um, you know, we added, we increased the price by $25 for it, that gas fireplace. Exactly. In those rooms, and then we added the jacuzzi tub, it was another $25. Exactly. Yeah, yeah Megan, that's exactly what I'm saying. And Quite frankly, uh, the fireplaces today are pretty much a given. There was a time when fireplaces were absolutely essential. Now it's a lot of the other side. I mean, well, it's the, almost an expectation that yeah, you're going to have a fireplace yeah, right. at a bed and breakfast or country inn. But for example, today people just as want the free Wi-Fi. They want the high-speed internet. Uh, they want the full breakfasts. And I think this is critical to why we've survived as much as we have, is it's all well and good to say, oh, well, we put in the heated floors, we put in the fireplaces, but see, that wasn't enough as the business has changed and evolved over the years. You've got to constantly keep looking at ways to improve. And some of the things you can charge more for, for example, if you know you spend a couple of thousand, three thousand dollars to put in all of the internet connections you need, you're not going to be able to increase your rates. Well, isn't it funny how hotels will do the resort fee and you know for Wi-Fi, and then you're like, you can't really do that in a country. No, yet. no, not in a bed and breakfast. So tell me a little bit about, so you're in a community, I, I went on a long walk this morning, and you're in a community of very high-end inns. I mean, there's not a slacker in the crowd, really. No, it's, there isn't. It's there beautiful. Isn't. There and isn't. They're your peers, and they're your friends, I'm sure. They're your mm -hmm. community, yet you have to always keep that competitive edge. Do you all, so if you're speaking now to innkeepers that are in a community, uh, do you all talk about trends, or do you kind of try to figure out what the trend is and get going on it before your neighbor does? I mean, how do you handle that now? Well, for us, I think we pretty much try to stay ahead of what our neighbor is doing, mm -hmm. okay? And what does that mean? It might mean putting in a fire pit. But as soon as you put in the fire pit, the neighbor puts in the fire pit. So then maybe it is you've got your fire pit, you have a wine license, and so you start doing wine time by the fire pit, and your neighbor goes, well, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to or whatever. Or that's their thing, we're not going to do their thing. Their thing, thing yeah. yeah. One of the things that we have done um, recently in the last three years is starting serving breakfast on the side lawn in the summertime, Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Uh, this has really given us, I think, a competitive edge, not only because of our guests loving it, but we've got three inns within 400 feet of us in each direction. And their guests walk the neighborhood and go... Gee, can we come over here and have breakfast? <laughs> it really is a visual that put, gives us a little bit of a cutting edge, which sure. is really nice. You cannot stay stagnant. You are always having to think up new things. Now, we cooperate with the inns in the neighborhood, and we might do a chocolate tour between the inns or a Christmas tour between the inns. It brings business to all of us, and it enhances all of us, and we have a good working relationship. But when it really comes down to wanting to put us ahead of everybody else, Rick and I read a lot, we travel a lot, we go to conferences a lot to find out what's the newest and greatest thing out there that we can have that the other guy is not stepping up to. Well, and I think, you know, seeing you all at the conference last week, 
my husband and I weren't able to go to a lot of those national conferences because they always seemed to be on the one week our kids were out of school in the spring and we would go on a nice vacation with our children. So we were very fortunate that, you know, other people in the state would go and report back or you could, you know, see what happened at the conference, but you didn't get to really hear. And that's sort of what we're trying to do with this podcast is give a little of that information that you might not get because you can't go to those. But I was stunned at that sem- at that conference of all the information you can get. And I think it's an important thing, and obviously you all believe in it, to go to these conferences when you can. Your investment is worth it. And you all are still going after almost 40 years and learning. You attended so many seminars at the conference. Uh, one of the things that we started doing at the very beginning, we never looked at ourselves as the little mom-pop bed and breakfast. If the Ritz-Carlton is doing it, we can probably do it. We're just not going to do it on that level. If they are having insurance problems, we're probably going to have insurance problems. If they're having life safety, fire safety issues where they're coming in and saying, you need to do this, this, and this, we're probably going to end up having to do that. So don't ever think that you're just the little guy and you can't learn from the big guy. You definitely can learn from the big guy and bring it down to your level of what you need to do or what you can offer, etc. There's never a new creative thing. You just have to learn how to do it better than what the big guy's doing it. And, and in bed and breakfast, we usually can do it better. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to own and operate your very own inn or bed and breakfast? Well, inn partners can help make that dream into a reality. In our seminar for future innkeepers, we cover everything you need to help you get started, from the basics of business operations to finances and more. Register for a seminar today at innpartners.com slash attend a seminar. That's innpartners.com slash attend a seminar. And let your dreams begin. I want to get back to the community piece because, well, first of all, because this podcast is about community, but also it's so evident through the awards you've won within the industry, how much the industry, which is your community, think of you all. And why don't you talk a little bit about, you know, what you do on a local level to pay back to a community that you live in versus on a national scale if you know what organizations you might join what you might feel donating to is appropriate and so talk to me a little bit about that probably the thing that has become the most uh, visible thing that we do now actually <clears throat> happened back when we were looking at uh, know, this is about eight years ago with Marty Maine, uh, who is a public relations specialist here in Maine, and we hired Marty to come in and talk to us about marketing. And we were looking for something, a signature charity that we would do, because we've always given back. Uh, you know, if the library needed money or the historical society, or, you know, I've uh, chaired a golf tournament for the local historical society, been a past president of the Brickstore Museum in Kennebunk and chaired a capital campaign for them. And I was a Rotarian for almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. And so being involved has been uh, probably more my bailiwick than Bev. Bev was raising two children. And so we, the children there were empty nesters now. So we met with Marty Maine and Bev lost her sister to breast cancer about now. 14 years 14 ago. 14 years ago. So we now do what we call the dime for time. 
And that's a fundraiser for breast cancer research. And we donate approximately $1 for each guest visit. And three years ago, discovered a charity called My Breast Cancer Support. It's a legitimate 501c3 organization out of Portsmouth, New Hampshire, that covers the southern coast of Maine, plus also New Hampshire. And what they do is help women who are dealing with breast cancer They help them with gas cards, babysitting, transportation, emotional support, and so forth. In addition to that, we invite uh, breast cancer survivors to be our guests the Sunday and Monday after Thanksgiving. This will be our eighth year doing it in 2017. And uh, we invite 16 women and their spouses to be our guests for two nights. And we give them the two nights the breakfast. Uh, We also set up with the company that does our uh, massages. They'll do chair massages at no cost. Then we also deal with On the Marsh restaurant, and she will do a free dinner for the breast cancer survivor. The husband or spouse has to, you know, pay for theirs. And uh, then we make a presentation of the check And, you know, last year was over $5,000. And so over seven years, we've probably given, in terms of gifts, I mean, the uh, value of the rooms and then probably $75,000 worth of giving back. But the whole genesis came out of working with a public relations person. And you know what? We have found that the women, it's unbelievable. I, I mean, we get letters back. We were dancing in front of the fire for the first time and the husbands are now recognized because the women go through this and uh, oftentimes they haven't had the financial wherewithal to take a vacation in years. And We both choke up and think about how we've impacted these women's lives. And, uh, it's, and what a tribute yeah. to your sister. Yeah. Yes, it really yeah. is. And she never wanted to be known as Lois Sand who had cancer. She lived life to the fullest until the day she died. But I know she'd be thrilled to see these ladies just having such a good time in spite of the fact that they've had cancer. And it really is a a true blessing to us, much greater than anything we give. But our staff have gotten involved too. Our housekeepers don't have a problem now taking the Coke cans and, and soda cans out of the trash because in Maine we have a five cent return policy and so we collect these and we turn them in and they contribute between five and six hundred dollars a year just from the soda cans taken from the rooms and they want to be able to participate too so it's a whole in thing and yet everybody gets a blessing from it Bedandbreakfast.com is the world's largest B&B travel site, connecting travelers seeking intimate, one-of-a-kind, and locally-owned accommodations with innkeepers and B&B owners from around the world. Advertise your property on Bedandbreakfast.com and meet a whole new world of travelers. So as far as, you know, you'd raised your children, it was, you know, still smooth sailing, and you didn't really have an exit plan. So your kids are gone. You're now empty nesting. You're clearly, you're an equestrian. You have time to pursue your passions. And and I think that's because you have a big enough in for a staff to support you living off property. 
Uh, I think a lot of people buy a smaller inn thinking they can do everything. They don't have to have staff, but when you have a full staff, it allows you some more freedom. So do you think that's been part of what's helped, is that you've been able to have some life-work balance? If you can have a staff that can take the day-to-day mundane chores off of you, you all of a sudden have breathing room and can enjoy the fun parts of the inn. It's really, really hard if you're doing everything every day all by yourself. Even if your spouse is involved in the inn, you're a unit that's doing it all by yourself. And so you really need to have enough rooms that can generate enough cash flow so that you can have a staff. And one of the things that Rick and I did is we wanted to work ourselves out of a job. And it wasn't that we weren't vital, but meaning the job, the mundane, every single day. If we decided, like yesterday, we went to the New England Food Show, we didn't really even tell the staff that what we were doing or where we were going. We just left and went and did it because we didn't have to be here to answer the phone. We didn't have to be here to make breakfast. We didn't have to be here to clean a room. And so that's when I say work ourselves out of a job. There's plenty of stuff that has to be done by us, but it's not that everyday mundane work that has to be done. The other thing is that we keep reinventing ourselves. And I think a lot of staff uh, innkeepers get burned out because they're doing the same over and over again. A few years ago, we got our wine license. Uh, By having the wine license, then we started doing wine tastings at the end for our guests. It's really been fun for us to learn more and to understand about the wine industry and then share that with our guests. Some of the other things that we've done is the gift shop. And so we go to the gift mart in Atlanta every January and we buy for our gift shop. Now our gift shop is only for our guests, but it's amazing what kind of a revenue you can generate out. But when we go to the gift mart, we start seeing things, well, gee, they have a whole linen section there. I find bedspreads that are different than anything that I can buy from the hospitality industry. I can find pillows that are much nicer, that are at a less cost than what I typically pay. I have just recently been uh, working on trying to get some sweatshirts and t-shirts and something that's really different. I can go to the mart and buy them at wholesale and be able to retail them in my shop for at least $25 less than my competitor can do because I take the time to find the newest and the latest in, in the apparel industry. So that that keeps us vitalized, that mm-hmm. keeps us engaged, and it keeps us ahead of our competition. And so doing things like this really are healthy for you in staying the longevity, the long time that you're in. Well, uh, to talk about the gift shop, because we're right near your gift shop right now, and it isn't a lot of square footage. And I remember visiting the Round Barn Farm in Waitsfield, Vermont, and Anne-Marie showed me her nook. It was literally a nook gift shop that she could lock up at night because it was a cabinet, a corner cabinet. And when she told me the amount of revenue she made annually, I freed up a corner and, and got a nook. But I found that, you know, I tended to sell more of the local things, which everybody else was doing. So I should have been thinking ahead and going down to Atlanta to that gift mark. But again, that's the sort of thing you can do after your, we sold when our kids left. And, and we didn't ever get to that next stage where you can really pursue your passion because you have the full staff. I was reading about your staff in one of these beautiful write-ups about your property and, you know, your housekeeper of 14 years. And 
those are the really wonderful things that that make your life happen. And I, I really, I kind of wish we had stayed, you know, but the recession hit and we kind of had a plan and my husband got a job and we just moved on. And um, I kind of regret that because I think people, as you get older, you, you can really appreciate more of what's around you and, and travel. I know you all do some really wonderful vacations and it looked like one of the things I read you might have taken a staff member with you on one of your equestrian trips or well I was involved in a riding facility and so my trainer came with Rick and I the trainer yes on on an equestrian trek that we did through Provence in France and that was fabulous really and I was good. reading and I thought and she was talking about you know being able to experience that with you all and I even came home from meeting you, and you were telling me about all your passions outside of the inn. And I think that's something really important. I think I have friends that are innkeepers now that have been doing it for 25, 30 years, and they're really having trouble getting to that place where they can just go away and and enjoy. And I think a lot of it's because they don't have quite enough rooms to have quite a big enough staff. So that's something to think about. Well, I think there's another aspect too, and I think it might be a personality issue that you begin to believe that you're indispensable. Mm -hmm. And last week I was snowmobiling up north in Cacajo, Maine, and I took the innkeeper across the street, Eric Lindblom. So here we are competitors, but good friends, and he had never been uh, snowmobiling before. And while we were driving to Boston yesterday with them to the food show, he says, I can't stop thinking about snowmobiling. So, and it thrills me that I was able to introduce him. I mean, he was wearing my snowmobile suit, he was wearing my boots, and he was driving one of my machines. So, but I had no problem with that. And we just had a wonderful time for the three days we were up there. There was a time I thought I was indispensable. Bev would take the children to church. And I said, I have to work on Sundays. And, you know, the little kids would say, why does Daddy have to work? We've got staff. And today, Bev and I both understand we're not indispensable. We have a staff. And uh, they can do anything, well, except maybe painting ceilings and (laughs) doing tiling and so forth. But they certainly take care of the inn very well. So that for a lot of years, uh, probably going back to the uh, 2000, 2001, we have been taking cruises. We have been, uh, we now have two granddaughters. Our oldest daughter had her second child in December. And we're already planning our summer trips to go visit her. And uh, so One forth. of the other things is when we go, we do not stay connected to the inn. And it's easier to today than it was 20 years ago, to stay connected with emails, text, etc. But we're gone. We're gone. And we are gone. Really? We do not call. We do not text. We do not email. We do not go online and see what's going on. I don't check the occupancy. (laughs) (laughs) And we say, the worst that can happen is have a fire, and the first person to call the fire department, the second person calls the insurance, and leave us a note (laughs) for when we get back. I mean... How are you expected to really relax and recharge and rejuvenate your marriage, your own self, if you're connected every day, two, three, four times a day back at the end? 
That you, is you are. very good advice that I hope everybody listening listens to because I think people have a hard time just leaving their phone in the room to come down to breakfast, let alone leave, walk away from their business. And you know if something horrible happens, they're going to call they you. They contact us, yes. And, and you can't control your TripAdvisor reviews when you're not there anyway. And, you know, there's just, you can't, can't, you can't manage when you're not there. Well, Megan, hopefully you have trained your staff that they represent you to the best of their ability, the way you've trained them, so that you don't need to worry about the TripAdvisor reviews yeah. and so forth. That the people leaving and or coming while you're not there are getting the same warm hospitality, the same fine food, the same thank you as they're checking out. We appreciate your business. So that the TripAdvisor reviews will be continue to be good. And if there's a bad one, it was going to be whether you're there or not. Well, and that's something <laughs> I um, noticed from having breakfast here this morning. And I remembered when I was here 15 years ago with my sister, at that time and today, more people at that table were previous guests than not. So they kind of do some work for you too. One couple, it was their 34th visit, and the other one had been here several times, and then there were three of us that hadn't. So that was, it's always nice to have people speaking. And of course, the first question was, do you have one of those bricks? (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted to have you kind of as our final little conversation, because we've talked about staff, we've talked about you. I love, and I have a picture that I took, and I will be posting it on InsideInKeeping.com for you to see this photo um, after you listen to this podcast, but talk about your BRIC program. Well, everybody likes to be recognized, okay? doesn't matter who you are. And we, early on, started getting a nice following of repeat guests. And how do you reward your guests? You know, how, you can do a lot of things. You can, if you have a dining room, you can say, well, dessert's on us tonight. Or somebody comes in and, and you remember that, that they liked a particular thing and you have chocolate-covered strawberries in their room. But uh, how do you reward them on a, on a continual basis, okay? And so we had decided that uh, we were at the gift mart and we were looking at things and we were up in the garden section and Rick was looking at these fountains, and he thought a some kind of a water feature would be really cool on the side lawn at the end. Well, I got bored looking at these fountains, and he was all engaged about these fountains. And just a, a, a vendor down across the aisle, he was selling rocks. And this was back when you could get the little rocks, and, and they were... Um, Engraved. Engraved. It said dream and think and love and happiness and joy. And so I'm looking at all these polished rocks, and the salesman came over and he says, Oh, these are a great seller. Do you think they go well in your gift shop? And I'm going, No, I don't think they're going to go great in the gift shop. And so then they had like a little path, and on the pathway that they had made in their display area, were these pavers that had dream and joy and all this stuff. And I'm starting to look at them. And Rick and I are already talking. How can we reward people who come 10 times? Well, we were already doing a gift on the 10th visit, which was based upon the old independent innkeepers, was the lantern. And we gave away a um, 
It was a candle, a candle lantern. lantern. So we were already doing it, but we were looking for something that we, we said, well, could be a little we, more me- memorable. Yeah, right. Could we do a plaque, you know, with their names engraved and like on the wall so or whatever. Pretty soon Rick found me and he came over and he says, I really found this great fountain and I'd like to put it in. And I said, well, how about if we do these pavers and put the name of the guest on the paver around the fountain? <laughs> and he says, oh, I love that idea. Come on over and see the fountain that I think that would be really cool. So between the two of us collaborating at the gift mart, uh, we came up with the idea of the memory garden. And we brought the idea back home. We got with a landscaper. We got and did a pathway, a walkway. And today we've got over 800 800 uh, pavers in our walkway that uh, guests have been here 10 times or more. And what is unbelievable to me, I do all the gardening. And so a lot of people don't know who you are. You're the gardener and you're out there on your hands and knees. And one day... This woman comes up and she has a little child and and is saying, and I can see she's looking and looking and looking in this memory garden. And I went over and I said, can I help you? And she says, yes, my husband and I were here and this is our grandchild. And I just wanted to show where grandpa's name is in the garden. I lost my husband a couple years ago. And I said, well, if you go inside, we have a chart and we'll be able to find it exactly where it is real quick. And so they came in and the little grandchild got to go in the inn where grandma and grandpa came and got to see then grandpa's name in the paper. And so it's more than just an incentive for us to get people to return. It, it really is in gratitude from us to them for coming. And for them, it is their name in lights so that they can remember all their fond times here at the Captain Lord. Uh, we do have one person that we've named the fountain on, and that's Kathy and Hal, who have been here a hundred plus times. I heard at breakfast this morning, I think they're up to 106. Yeah. That is amazing. Well, that is a, I think that is a lovely note to end this feature podcast of the two of you. I can't tell you how fun this conversation's been. I think everybody's going to love listening to it. But I'm going to turn off this interview and say goodbye, but then I'm going to ask a few more questions. So those of you listening will hear more from Rick and Bev and some other podcasts that are very topical because I'm going to switch to some kind of dicey subject matter. But I did want to close this by saying thank you. And I mean, I would love to figure out a way to get here eight more times so I could have my memory <laughs> stone because... I said, I, you know, by getting up this morning in my heated towel on the heated floor, doing my yoga in the bathroom, I really didn't want to, I really don't want to leave, but I've got to. So thanks so much. It was really fun, and I'm sure I'll be back again. And thank you for your hospitality. Oh, thank you. Thank you, man. You've been listening to Inside Inkeeping, hosted by Megan Smith. Our show is produced by Katherine Hayes and Luke Stafford in partnership with InPartners, Mondo MediaWorks, and Megan Smith Consulting. You can find Inside Inkeeping on iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe or stay in touch at InsideInkeeping.com. Thanks for listening.